I'm excited today that I get to share with you and start of this series, A Parable of the Sower. It takes me back to my days way back before I was on staff anywhere when I used to get to preach and I wasn't responsible to anybody except Jesus. <laughs> so I could preach like an evangelist, Brother Jimmy Dale. <laughs> You'd come in with guns a-blazing and leave. <laughs> okay. <laughs> get it all in a three or four day span. You don't have to wait a month to get it all out, get it all in there and just get in your car and go, man. Get out of town. There you go. Start the series today on the parable of the sower. And when Jesus began his teaching ministry, if you will, or whatever you want to say it, he spoke very clearly and forthrightly about the kingdom of God. Where it was, what you need to be doing, which was repent initially. So he was very clear about that. The Sermon on the Mount, the greatest message ever spoken, okay? Pretty good. Just pretty good when you say you're the best ever, and of course, that's us saying that. We believe that. I think as Christians, we should. But one of the challenges Jesus ran into early on was, was he had people following him for more on what he could do for them. For healings, sickness, things like that. People were following because of that. And some of them had great faith. And scripture talks about that. We know that. By just touching him or just saying, no, you don't need to go to my house. I just believe. So there was great faith. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. But so many of the crowds gathered around him for what he could do for them. We have to be careful of that. We have to be careful that we don't follow Jesus just so we can go to heaven. Byproduct. You may have, just in our current context of the last month in the Blessed Life series, you could have heard, give to get. Follow Jesus for what he can do for you. Not because of who he is. Not because of what he's already done. Not because of what he wants to do in your life. Not because he wants to advance the kingdom. You follow him for what he can do for you. That was a problem for Jesus. I know by all means, win some, I get that. It's not his words, but... So Jesus began... And I'm not sure this is the reason, but one of the things he did begin was to speak in parables. And a parable, if you will, is is, is a good story, or at least a good illustration, that takes something familiar and uses it to explain something unfamiliar, a greater truth. So he takes something that's a deep truth that, if just spoken to us, if just said it kind of goes over our head, but by taking something familiar that we know and speaking to the unfamiliar, all of a sudden we begin to grasp it. Does that make sense? So that's what Jesus, and sometimes it's a, it's a great story. I'm a very visual learner. 
Uh, so if I told you today, if you asked me today, explain beauty, the, only thing, the first thing I'd do is well, let me show you this picture here. Now, I, that's beautiful to me. But I don't know how I'd exactly explain it. But I can show you what I think beauty is. And so, so sometimes we're very visual. We're needing to see something. And, and, and what a parable does, it begins to break that down. We begin to see some visuals of that. But a parable allows the listener to enter into the story. To put themselves inside of it. And obviously when you do that, it enhances. It's like what I loved about what Robert Morris did when he was teaching on the loaves and the fishes a few weeks ago. He took us inside the story as if we were a disciple. It was pretty funny, obviously, if you were here. But it gave you a little bit of understanding. It wasn't necessarily a parable, but he told the story in such a way you kind of moved into it kind of understood it a little better. So when you, when a parable allows you to, a, a listener potentially move into it, and it works so much greater than me just telling you what you should do, the parable allows me to understand it and all of a sudden go, aha, I get it now. For me, Luke 17, I was sitting at home reading my, my Bible, and I'll just briefly mention on this, I could go for hours on this soapbox, I could. But Luke 17, and Jesus' words talking about, to, talking to the disciples, and he's saying, woe to you guys. He said, woe to you. And Jesus says, woe, then you're not, it's not like, whoa. It's like, whoa. Whoa, you in trouble. Woe to you who would cause a little one to stumble. He said, it's better to have a millstone hung around your neck. Now, get this visual. A millstone, big, honking Millstone, and you go, that didn't help me at all. Okay. <laughs> big stone, that's why I'm thinking of big old stone that's heavy. A millstone hung around your neck and dropped into the bottom of the ocean. Now, I know I use graphic illustrations sometimes, but like I said, I've told kids over the years, I hope God, you know, splits your chest wide open, reaches in and grabs your heart and doesn't give it back to you to someday you follow after what he's saying. <laughs> but Jesus says, I'd rather just better off having a millstone hung around your neck and just drop from the bottom of the ocean. There you go. That's pretty graphic, though, right? I mean, not, there's not a lot of blood involved, but there's drowning. <laughs> then, to cause one of these little ones to stumble in that moment, after 10 years of drinking many times excessively, I stopped drinking. I haven't touched a drink since then. Nobody was in my house telling me what to do. Nobody was preaching a sermon on alcohol. But I moved myself inside the scripture. I became receptive to the word. And I began to examine myself and say, I'll tell you what, my children will never. There's more light coming on. There's light coming on. Quit checking the scores back there. Okay, there's no, no football right now. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but I think, what are the things in my life right now that could cause one of my little ones to stumble? And I didn't know I was going to have four children. I only had one at the time. But then I realized as time went on, it didn't just mean little ones as children. Anybody who has less faith than you. Ooh, now it can't get bigger, doesn't it? 
Anybody who is less faith than you, you're better to have a millstone hung around your head and dropped in the bottom of the ocean. That's what a parable does for you. And that's really not even called a parable. That's just giving you an illustration. But here we are at the parable of the sower. And what I'm going to ask you to do over the next four weeks, starting today, is to move yourself inside of the story. We're going to describe it. The parable of the sower is found in three of the Gospels, but we're going to camp Luke and Matthew, but we're going to camp out in Mark. We'll refer to the others, but we're going to camp out mostly in Mark as we read through it. So that's what we're going to do now. And if you'll follow along, that would be great. And uh, we'll go from there. So here we go. I like the way Mark starts it. And you'll see that you'll pick it up here real quick, and I'll I'll start reading. Jesus is into hearing. No way. You know, Jesus repeats a lot, and I'll talk more about it last week. He is really into you hearing. Because what does he do? He didn't say, look. What does he say? We got that passage there? Where is it? There it is. Listen. Now, if Jesus says listen with an exclamation point, you know what I think I'm going to do? I'm probably going to listen. Listen. I think there's out of frustration too, maybe. <laughs> listen. Okay, I got to give you this story. You guys can't get it over here. I got to give you, a, I got to paint you a picture. A farmer went out to sow his seed. He was scattering the seed. Some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell around rocky places where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still others fell on good soil. Soil It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has eyes to see, let him see, which is not bad. That's not what he said. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may not ever, ever be seeing but never perceiving. And even hearing but not understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. There's a passage. We'll talk about that. But then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable if you don't get this one? I'm giving you such an easy one right here. That's what I think he's saying. I'm giving you such an easy beginner. If you don't get this one. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others like seed sown on rocky places hear the word at once with joy, but since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the world, because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others like seed sown among the thorns hear the word, but the worries about this life the deceitfulness of wealth and desires for other things come and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what 
was sown. We're going to take four weeks and go through four dirts. Often as this parable is known, obviously, as the parable of the sower, the parable of the seed, but it very well should, could be known as the parable of the soil. As mentioned last week, and as I mentioned this morning, there's only one place where we're asked to test God, but there's a lot of places that God tests us in Scripture. I think of this passage of Scripture as, Paul was finishing his, at least his letters to the church at Corinth in chapter 13 of 2 Corinthians. He says this in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. He said, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. I never liked pop quizzes. I don't know about you, unless I'd studied really hard, if I was studying every day for the class I really, really liked, I really didn't mind showing up and let them call a pop quiz. It doesn't matter to me, but it's those classes I was just kind of nominal in, which unfortunately was predominantly most of them, okay? I didn't want to show up and they had a quiz. All of a sudden, there's a lot of stress on my life because I'm now having to be responsible for something I, and accountable for something I haven't. I'm really responsible for it. I'm just not ready to be held accountable for it. That's a better way to say it. It's a lot of stress. But to test yourself, to test your soil, to test the dirt. You see why this is more of an evangelist come in? Because we're going to test this for you today. Let me say this. The purpose of this series is not for you to question your salvation but to examine your soil. <laughs> I hope the study of this text over the next few weeks will be the purpose that I believe Jesus gave it for was to, for us to look at our heart's condition. To know where we are. We may find out why we realize we're calf in our faith. This parable, and I love it, this parable is full of these great images, right? It's, it's full of these, it's the sower. Who's the sower here? Well, Jesus or God, however you want to say it, but the sower is the one. And you can get that picture of somebody either out slinging it like this or turning the crank or putting it down one by one or like I do my winter grass, you just run the thing, you know, and the thing's shooting everywhere and you're trying to figure out how to put it on a four or an eight and it's too much and too little and I can't figure it out. But anyway, that's another whole other story. But it looks good. It does look good, though. But you know what I mean by sower. We can all get that picture pretty quick. Then there's the seed. We all know pretty well what a seed is. So we look at the seed. Well, in this instance, the seed is the word of God. It's perfect. So is the sower in the story. So is the seed. But then there's the soil. Four different soils if you will. Then there's, and I think it's the other version, the birds or the crows or the ravens. Well, that represents Satan. Some of you just got nervous. You know, I talk about that. Well, Jesus talked about the enemy a lot. 
You've got to ignore most of the red letter, a lot of the red letters if you don't want to talk about the enemy. He comes to steal. He comes to kill. He comes to destroy the thief. That's Jesus' words. He said, but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly in John 10, 10. He has come that you may have an abundant life, but the enemy's only purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. So I'm just saying, you're going to have to understand that in this passage. Not only on this scripture, I hope in your spiritual journey. There is a war going on. This is how I fight my battles. There's a reason why we sing that song. There is a battle to be won. And there's a, there's a battle to be fought. And we know who wins. There's fruit. There's weeds. I was pulling weeds out of my backyard. How many of you got weed issues at your home? It causes rain. I mean, there's weeds everywhere. There are weeds. We got people in our neighborhood that's taking over their property, it seems like. So these images, Jesus lets us. We're going to break those images down over the next many weeks. But for some reason, as I read this scripture over the years and even in the past, one of the things that, for whatever reason in my mind, and until maybe this time it really sunk into me a little better, was that I used to think, well, you know, the rocky or the hard-packed soil, well, that's somewhere over there. The rocky soil, well, that's over there. That's like when I was on top of Peralta Pass the other day, and it's like lava rock up there. And I go, well, that's kind of like what that is. And when you really read it, you realize all this soil's in the same place. And I know that's not a revelation to you, but it was to me again going, this is not like soil way over there and some soil. No, this is all in the same field. The same type of soil, except the condition. One, though, of these is fully yielded to be cultivated, and that's the one we'll talk about in a few weeks. But today we're going to talk about the hard, useless ground. And again, by Jesus giving this familiar picture of the harvest fields, the, the, the farmer's properties were all adjacent to each other. And so as they went out to plant, they didn't want to walk on what they had already planted. So they became, became these paths that everybody used. It became these paths in between the fields. That is, they walked along. But, but it's kind of like going out hiking the other day. I don't know if I have that picture or not. But when I was out hiking the other day, it's kind of like, it's not the same, obviously. But, but you, that's, there's that beaten path. We all know there's things growing and beautiful things. If you're out, if you've been out in the desert much here recently, there's some beautiful flowers. There's a lot of gorgeous things going on out there. And most of them may be weeds. I don't know, but they're beautiful or whatever they are. But no, but you see the hard path. There's nothing going to grow there. That's the kind of track we're talking about here. And so when the seed is sown on, sown on that, it's basically bird seed. Nothing's growing. It can't grow there. It's too hard packed. It's the same soil as the dirt next to, or, the, or, the, or those on the side of the trail. But it can't because it's beaten down and almost become useless, if you will. Again, I love what Jesus says in the middle of all this. It says, he says, who has ears to hear, let him hear. Remember last week I shared with you, I love what Jesus says in, in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. He says, given it will be given to you, and I was talking about the blessed life, a good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use it, 
what you do with it, it will be measured back to you. How you apply this, how receptive you are to it, that's how it will work in your life. Because I think we, you know, we said last week, we measure everything. What we preached last week, we measure everything. Some of you have capped your life going, I can't do that. That's your measurement. That's your waterline. That is your box you put yourself in. But when it comes to the word, it's critical how you measure it. Jesus told this parable, I believe, to compel his listeners, those that he was trying to reach, which was everybody, I believe, to examine their own soil condition, to measure it. To measure and say, how receptive am I to spiritual truth? And it's based on the condition of our heart. So who's in dirt number one? And let me say this before, we, before I go through this, hopefully quickly. You may be looking at this already going, yeah, I know who those people are. Please listen. Move into the story. Please listen. Because I think every one of us have a little bit of trade of all of us. Hopefully you understand what I mean by that. Now, obviously, the list is too long to know who all the who's are and all the how's they got there, obviously. <laughs> but I want to take a stab, a little bit of stab at some thoughts I have. And many of it, most of you know, I, I have this thing in my head. I don't know if it's useful to anybody else. It's called the five C's that we have used around, that we're starting to use in our discipleship. And then something the Lord has given me, that I believe, and created, and one of them is, is that the person over here that, that operates basically on their conscience, and what I mean by this, they don't have anything spiritual. Actually, the word says about the natural man, they cannot understand supernatural. They don't have any option. But they're either ignorant of the word, and I don't mean ignorant as in stupid overall, but just ignorant of the word, or they're just indifferent to the things of God, indifferent. They're hard, they're hard-hearted. Or they're combative towards God, the things of God. Know any of those? And then there's transition, and we can talk more about that. But the concern, is it true? Is it true for me? Is it true for me all the time? It's a huge concern for people. If this is true, I want to know if it's true. And I love Alpha training. We, we had the opportunity, many, a few of our folks had the opportunity to be in yesterday. Alpha is a tool in God's hands, we believe, here at Renovation and around the world. But, but is it true? Is it true for me, and is it true for me all the time? But then there's, don't be too quick. No. Then there's the convinced. Those people are convinced who, who have come to faith in Christ, and they're comfortable, they're secure in their faith with Christ, but they've gotten complacent like many people get in their marriage. They get complacent, and then before you know it, they're capped, and they're capped, I believe, and here's where some of you might jump in on this one today. And there may be a reason for that. Well, there is a reason for it. <laughs> we may talk about it today. 
We will minister. We want everybody who's in any of these circles to be at renovation. Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. We want you to be here. It's like last week I shared with you that the only people who have true, real influence on my life, there is nobody, and it's out of the saying I said years ago, I will minister to anyone, I will love, but I choose my influencers very, very carefully because my influencers, people who influence me, influence my family, influence this church, they influence everything I do. That's the reason why I said last week there is nobody that has great influence on my life who is not a tither. I'm not saying that if you tithe, you have great influence on me. And I'm not saying that if you don't tithe or give, that I don't love you and won't be your pastor. It's not what I said. Malachi says, though, right before what we read earlier, a couple of things. One, he says, I'm a God that never changes. He says right before that, you've been robbing me. You've been robbing me of the tithe. Why would I want somebody influencing my life? You read the rest of it. So we want to be a place where people have an opportunity to move and to recognize and self-select. You go, hey, coach, you can't self-select. You can't put categories of people. Jesus just did. It's called parable of the sower. Read it. I'm just following his example. We love you. We want to help you. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and live it to the full, not live a life capped or live a life suspicious. Is God loving me right now? Or life where you're combative or indifferent. That is not why he came. He came that you would live life to the full, that would extend his kingdom into this world. That's why he came. Not just to get you to heaven, not just to get you a nice house. He came to save our lives, to have a relationship restored back to him, and we be the instruments that reconcile the world back to him. Do with that what you would. That is what we're called to do. But we don't love anybody in any of those categories. Soil number one, I believe one of the things is they've got an unteachable heart. Just an unteachable heart. It's sometimes it's not that they just don't understand. They are ignorant. They don't, they don't, this, I believe the Spirit's always trying to draw in some ways. Sometimes it's more evident than others, way before we even know who God is. But we just have this unteachable spirit about us. We refuse to listen. And when we refuse to listen, I believe we become insensitive to Him. Some people allow their hearts to be hardened by bitter disappointment, by prayers they don't think were answered in the way that they should have had them answered. Tough things happen in their lives, and they blame God, and therefore not only reject Him, they very well may be combative towards you if you bring up God. Some use their intellect to hide the fact that they don't want anyone messing with their life, including God. But you know the most common cause of heart-heartedness 
Maybe it's a little simpler. It's called sin. Romans 1, 18 through 21 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth. If you've got a Bible and you're using that or you've got some way to highlight this, man, that is important, who suppress the truth. It doesn't say that God hid the truth. It's they suppress the truth. I get this vision of, of the truth trying to bubble up, and they're standing on top of it going, oh, give me some more weight. You got a millstone? Give me that. I want to keep it down. I just want to keep it pressed down. God's wanting to bubble it up. God's wanting to do a work in their life. God's wanting to change them. God's wanting to challenge them, but they suppress it. By their wickedness, sin. And since that, what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. You need to underline that. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened, obscuring the manifestation of God's light and life. I believe the role of a grateful heart changes everything. James 4.17 says, Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Some of you have heard God's Spirit convincing you, you know what He's pulling on you, and you refuse it. You just flat out refuse it. You may hide it, you may seem very spiritual, but you hide it well. Some of you don't hide it near as well as you think you might. Even considering the blessed life, some of you got bothered by the fact that we were talking about money, got uncomfortable, got upset possibly. We were even talking about money here at Renovation. Well, I can tell you who doesn't get upset and bothered about money being talked about in the church is giving and generous people. <laughs> They're going, preach it, Pastor. <laughs> That's really the truth. And you may have already moved yourself out of dirt number one today, and I understand We may picture the people in dirt number one being the most vile, hardened criminals. We like that word hardened, hardened criminals in our culture, or the most intellectual atheist we know. Somewhere in between, but boy, howdy, we've left out a big old gap in there. Because it could be your favorite family member, your neighbor. Because just being a good person in itself doesn't cut it you know jan and i have, i've shared this i'll just share the brief part of this when i gave my life to the lord in january uh, december 13th 1986 at exit 199 highway 82 in new boston texas and i was telling jan i'm dying and going to hell and she kept telling me but you're a good man 
She was willing to let me go to hell and not tell me the truth. <laughs> we laugh about it today. She kept trying to tell me, but you're a good man. I said, it's not enough. I had to convince her. <laughs> she loved me. She wasn't ready for the pop quiz. <laughs> My point is this. Just being good is not enough. It even could be if you had the five C's up there again. It could be the person who at one time, let's get that back up again. The person who is convinced Christ is, is, is the Lord and Savior and accepted him. And I'm not saying they're losing their salvation, but they very well could go back to indifference. And you know a ton of people who have. You're not setting neutral in this thing. There's no neutral at the cross. It's a continental divide. What you do with the man on the cross on a daily basis, not just one time back 32 years ago, what you do with him every day means either you're moving with him or you're moving away from him in some ways. You're becoming indifferent to his word. You're becoming indifferent to his, 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 his inklings and his movement. Become unteachable. You don't want his intervention any longer. You're just fine with the heaven thing. Or you may even be giving in tithes and offerings. But other areas you've said no. Uh-uh. Jesus was really worried about his church. Because you may be in number one. I mean, you may be here today and say, well, I'm not number one. My question is, how much do you pray for those people that are in number one? Is your heart broken for them? Do you sense the urgency for those people? Would you be willing to step into an awkward situation just to pray with somebody when it doesn't make sense? To ask a question that seems totally out of left field. But God impresses on you the best you can tell to do it. And I, believe, I realize there's a lot of, you know, David Platt talks about when Jesus was saying, uh, in his book Radical, he, he talks about what Jesus was saying, when, I think it's Matthew chapter 9, when he went into the, the villages and the towns and had compassion on the people. And he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He says, pray for the workers. He said, please, disciples, pray for yourselves. I'm not concerned that people won't come to me when they realize who I am. I'm most concerned that you won't go. That's my biggest concern. Jesus knew it. He knew how easy it was to become complacent. And then become insensitive to the moving of the Spirit. Some of you need to go reconcile some relationships. You've been told over and over to go do it, and you won't do it. Sorry. That's your ministry. I can't say it any louder. 
You have the ministry of reconciliation, and you cannot be walking at full tilt with Jesus Christ and having broken relationships that you're not trying to fix. You can't fix all of them. I get it. But it better be on your end trying to. I don't know if I've ever done that before in my whole life. <laughs> it's our ministry. There is no other ministry coming. There is no other plan coming. It's us. We're plan A and there is no plan B. We don't invite people to church. We show up half the time. Okay, if you don't think our church is worth inviting to, why are you even attending? That makes no sense to me. That's a head-scratcher unless you're forced to with a gun. I don't know. I haven't seen any of those. It says maybe because if you invited people to church, then all of a sudden they may come to know Jesus and you'd be invested, and now you'd have to show up all the time too. Well, I don't want to do that. I don't want anybody to come to Jesus that I invited to church. Now I have to be vested. Don't want to do that. Or, or maybe I don't want to. It, it's not because I'm embarrassed about our preaching or our vision or our facilities or anything else. I'm just embarrassed if I did realize how little I'm committed. I sure don't want them to know that because I'm pretty loud about my faith outside of here. Maybe our hearts are just not broken for people who are far away from God. Maybe that's really it. One of the passages of Scripture that Jesus talks about that bothers me a lot is in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. It says, enter through the gate. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many, many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Not it's hidden from them, it's only a few find it. From the ages 14 to 17 years old, the Spirit was calling me. The Spirit was making claims on my life. There is no question from that age. The Spirit was drawing me. I knew it. I didn't know what the first book of the Bible was, but I knew something was happening. But I hardened my heart. It, and we'll talk about it more in the next few weeks. But it was that first thing, that first beer at 16 years old. Or there's actually more than one beer that night, but however many it was, it began to snatch the seed. It didn't have to be a beer, you know that. It could be a lot of different things. What I'm saying is, though, it began to be planting and snatching the seed. What I'm thankful for is, and it would be different than some other people's camp as far as their theology, is that it was, it was resistible at that time, but, it, but later on I, was, I gave in to it. Some would say, well, if God's grace is irresistible, His Spirit is irresistible, how could you at 16 years old, you're chosen there forever 
I had hard packed ground in my heart. But God began to till it a decade later because I allowed it. Because it's together. You see, I don't like the fact that you can work with God on your salvation, deal with the tension. We serve a sovereign God, and yes, he is, baby, he is. There's no question. We're also a God who gives us free will. And we like living in the tension. He gives us a choice, too. Today, today, if you hear God's voice, Hebrews 3.15 says, do not harden your hearts as you did in Today, this day, you may leave today thinking you got out of here unscathed and thinking this is enough for one day. (laughs) I believe the problem is the more we say no to God, the easier it is to continue to say no to him. And the worst part is we get to the point where we don't even hear him. If you reach the point where you don't hear God anymore, you better start worrying. That's when you better start worrying. When you don't feel prompted anymore, that's when you better start worrying. Especially if you're in in his word. I shared this last week with the class, Max Lucado's words. I think it's out of the book, No, No Wonder They Call Him the Savior. He said, concerning the man on the cross, nearly has to become certainly. Sometimes has to become always. If only has to become regardless. Next time has to become this time. I love preaching this parable. Because I see a little bit of me in every one of them. But I know which one my heart desires. We're going to continue to march towards that over the next few weeks. Let's just sign him to come as we take communion today. But before we do that, we close today. And let me say this around this room. People from, I'm going to guess, people with no faith faith background and people with a lot of faith background came to know Jesus in Berea. People who are extremely smart and people who are less intelligent (laughs) believed. People of poor, people of rich believe and reject. Today, you have an opportunity. We're going to be a part of what we call the Lord's Supper. If you're here new, taking communion together as a community today. And just logistically, real quick, I'm going to have you stand here in just a moment. You'll come down. If you don't mind, come down these aisles. You take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and partake of it here at the table. You can take it back to your seat. But if you'd return back down the middle and be seated, that would, or stand as we sing, and it would be great. I'm going to pray right now before we do this. If you today 
still a prompting. I don't mean just, hey, that makes sense. Because I can talk fast. I can hit enough things, slam enough things. But I would never want to do that to manipulate you. Somebody asked me the other night, a good friend of mine said, Kurt, what's my, what could be your prayer for 2019 that I can be praying? Good, dear friend of mine, I've known for 25 years, the longest. And I said that I do nothing with God's word to manipulate his people. That I do what I'm supposed to do and let him do what only he can do. And I think that's a pretty good partnership. And that's what we want to do. But the word does say today, if you hear his voice, do not. Harden your heart. And that's our deliverance. If you want us to pray for you before everyone else stands in to take communion, and I would appreciate if you came up to me later, or Dr. Dan, or Jeff, or any, a lot of you, a lot of people you may know you have great faith in in their walk with Christ. But you say, can you just pray with me? I want to. I, want, I need to profess something publicly, and I don't mean publicly here, but to someone of what God's doing in my life. If you would do that, that would be awesome. But if you want to just stand, and I say here in just a minute, just to stand and be involved in this prayer that I'm going to pray before we take communion. And really, it's about the Lord is prompting me in something. He's stirring in me, and I need to publicly stand up. As a, as a baby step, if nothing else. Some of you are going to feel like more than a baby step. And pray before we take communion. If you would just stand right now, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, right now, in your name, and it's only your name, the name and above all names, the word says that every shall bow to someday Lord it is in your name it's all about you and Lord for the folks who have stood and I'm assuming there are some who are still sitting that are stirred today not because of somebody can talk fast or we can sing loud or because you're working in their lives you're prompting them you're tilling the soil of their life and Lord, I just pray whatever that prayer is right now, whatever that is at this moment, Lord, they lift it to you as if they're sitting across the table from you and just speaking it out as a great friend. And you, and you say, we are friends. But you're more than that. You're also our Savior. Everything's getting put on the table. Getting pushed out into the middle. we begin to take our hands away from it and just say Lord it's yours but I pray right now as we will now continue as a community to remember what you have done for us to be grateful for what you have done for us and what you want to do, want to do in our lives but most of all who you are we take for this today for your glory and remembrance of the bloodshed
in the body of the Lord. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Everyone else, if you would stand, who's participate. If you can't make it down front, we have communion, the small prepared communion cups that we can get to. If you just raise your hand, we want you to participate today and join in if you can. So thank you so much. Lord, help us now. And uh, it's a great gesture as a community, Lord. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Okay, come as you feel led. Thank you.